The following is brought to you by Braided Media. Picture this. It's a hot and sticky Sunday morning, like so many other steamy days in summer's ascension. In years past, I'd wake with a purpose, albeit without too much vigor this early in the morning, to prepare myself for the long and loud day ahead. One filled with high-octane engines screaming and singing around Le Circuit Villeneuve, taking up my Sunday viewing on the telly. It's mid-June, the Grand Prix is upon us, and it's race day. The weekend's hangover to some, and the unmistakable climax to others. This next episode is being done in honor of Montreal's Grand Prix, and in elevation of a driver who may one day race in it. A driver whose melanin makes him stand out in a sport where there are but only sprinkles of color. Lewis Hamilton and Bubba Watson, atop a not-so-exhaustive list. And while his blackness is part of this unwritten story, it is his character, his composure, and his calm that fills this script. For you see, Toka Murphy is quite simply a remarkable young man on a remarkable journey. I've caught him early. He's definitely on the rise, and I'm grateful for it. For it's not going to be too long before I wake up and see him on my telly on Sunday. Today, though, it's COVID. And the festival that is the Grand Prix of Montreal is cancelled for the second straight season. The parties, the parades, and the race patrons will not fill the streets this year. But I say to them, hang in there, mes amis. Vaccines and discipline will, God willing, get us back out there next year. Good morning, good day, or good evening. And welcome to 54 Lights. This show is designed to elevate black voices through authentically told stories of Africans, African descendants, or allies of the community. Our work is done in service of rewriting the African narrative and reclaiming the brand that represents people of color. My name is Kondwani Mwase, Ethiopian-born, Canadian-raised, and proudly Malawi. I live in the world of business, but find inspiration, energy, and purpose in creative spaces. This show is my passionate pursuit to better understand what shapes and defines culture. It is the manifestation of my curiosity. From what I understand, the F1 circuit is just a little bit over halfway its 2021 season, and people have racing on their mind. 
add on to that that Lewis Hamilton is number two on the leaderboard for 2021. And and of course, you know, something that has to be said on a show like 54 Lights is obviously is Lewis Hamilton is is a person of color. And he has been blazing a trail through the, the, the racing sport for for some years now. But today is not a conversation about uh, about Montreal Grand Prix or the F1 or Lewis Hamilton, although there is a slight connection between Lewis Hamilton and my next guest. Today, I'm speaking with an equally influential, yet not as well known racer who's also a person of color. And Toka, welcome to the show. For those who do not know you, can you introduce yourself uh, you know, first and last name, any middle names if you have them, and just a brief, a brief sentence or two about who Toka is. Yeah, for sure. So my name is Toka Murphy, and I'm a race car driver coming out of Toronto, Canada. I was originally born in South Africa. Uh, we came about 2008, and once I touched down in Toronto, that's when my uh, my racing dream came uh, to mind. And once you have the racing bug, it just sticks to you. And ever since then, I've been going after it so I can make that dream come to fruition. That's uh, that, that's that's the, the the best the best summary and a great way for us to start off this conversation. But I I, I want to take a slight pause. Um, yeah. You said you were born in South Africa, so what is the connection there? Yeah, for sure. So I was born um, in nineteen ninety seven. So I stayed there for about eleven years, and mm-hmm. then we came to Canada. Uh, my father is uh, fully South African, but my mother is Hungarian. So um, I guess I'm half Hungarian, half South African. So I was born in South Africa. So I just grew up more in the South African culture. Yeah. And then we came to Canada. So then, of course, we adopted the Canadian culture, but we still stuck to true to our roots. Uh, on, on your Hungarian side, do, do you have deep roots there as, with your mom and stuff? Or uh, yeah, like sure. how? Well, my mom believes my, my racing. Um, like the racing dream came from the Hungarian blood because my uh, grandfather, who I never met, but he was very much into racing. And also my uh, uncle likes racing a bit too, but it was just more of my grandfather, my mother's side was really into racing. So she believes that those racing genes uh, passed on to me and then my racing bug came from Hungarian side of me. So I got to ask you this question and I know some of it, but I don't know the details of it, but what got you into racing aside from, you know, maybe, uh, you know, like hearing stories of your grandfather, baby. Yeah, for sure. Well, my racing uh, dream was a bit unorthodox, uh, meaning like the classic racer nowadays, um, they start off go-karting, they look up to Formula One and uh, they work their way up to get as close to Formula One as possible. But mine came from more, I just had a passion for cars. I mean, I would look at cars go down the street and I like, I'll just be in awe based on how they look. It was like art in motion, right? And what led me to want to race is because I want to be a driver who does not limit the car. Most cars are limited by their driver, but I wanted to be a driver who's just not limited by their, who, li- who limits the car. And I want to be able to drive all those crazy sports cars to their full potential. And then that's when I realized, well, you know, there's a BMW road going M3, but there's also an M3 GT3, which is a pinnacle, you know, vehicle for that M3 uh, car. So then I'm like, okay, well, if I want to be able to drive the M3 to its full potential, I want to be able to drive the BMW M3, uh, you know, GT3 to its full potential, right? Mm -hmm. So then um, that's when I started looking into racing. um, And in high school, I saved up to uh, go to racing school. Um, It was quite a lump sum. You know, I kept it uh, pretty low key till it actually happened. 
And um, yeah, that's when I got my racing license and I had no idea what to do after because I had no, I, I, I don't know anyone in the industry. I don't know racing teams. I'm only like grade 11 or grade 12. Yeah, I was going to say that's a young age to be sort of jumping in and getting your racing license. Uh, from from what I understand of what I've read uh, about you, Toka, this was somewhat of news to your parents too? Yeah, yeah, 100%. Because, I mean, like, you know, but we didn't have the money to play around for like spending on um, expensive hobbies like racing. So I knew that if I was going to do this, you know, it's not that my parents don't encourage me. It's just more in the sense like, you know, they were like, well, this money could be used for better things, right? Maybe mm-hmm. your first year of university, maybe this, you know, maybe that like more productive things. And I, I do, I definitely do understand. So, but sometimes you just have to take the risk on your own. And um, I was a little bit wild and young. So I'm like, screw it. I'm taking the risk. So, so once your parents realized that, 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 that this is where the money went to rather than is going to right um yeah you you said they were supportive yeah that must be that must be difficult and i i don't want to put any sort of like stereotypes on 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 african cultures and backgrounds nor hungarians for that matter but racing is just this this outlier right of a of a sport of a of a passion of a vocation How, how was that conversation one that you had to massage with them or were they sort of like, Hey, you know what, we would have rather this, but it's okay. Let's go. Or, or, or was that something you had to do a bit of a back and forth with? Well, it was, it was, um, it was pretty straightforward actually. Cause uh, once my parents saw that I was taking like the entrepreneurship life seriously um, and it was, as well as, you know, taking racing seriously, they're like, okay, at least he has a plan and he has the discipline to follow that plan. So mm-hmm. I guess I guess my actions spoke louder than the words, and that's why it was easier for them to um, understand and even be more supportive. Versus if they just saw me playing PlayStation all day, they're like, "Okay, you're not taking it seriously." You know what I mean? Right. Kids, especially at the high school, uh, you know, in 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 that high school age, sort of everybody loves speed, right? We all got this need for speed. We want to drive. Like it's cool. Cars are are are, are beautiful things, but it seems for you that that um, sort of like, uh, you know, affection or adoration for cars really became just that much more. It was amplified. It was sort of like taken to that next level. When did it sort of turn for you that you were like, no, I want to, I want to actually race? I guess when that, that turning point happened is when I became more involved in the car communities here in, in Toronto. Um, and also, especially when I got more behind the wheels of these cars, right? So what I mean by that is that in Toronto, we have a huge car community. You know, there's a lot of people who's passionate about cars here. And there used to be this car meet called Ertefa. And I tell you, this is something out of Fast and Furious. You would have like thousands of people in the Canadian Tire parking lot. I'm talking about hundreds and or thousands. Like You can't even walk at so many people hear all these crazy cars you honestly would think you're in a fast and furious movie before wow. it turns about guns and violence when it's actually about the cars yeah right right right, right. <laughs> um and i think that's when i'm like wow you know cars are like it brings a lot of people together and then unfortunately um those car meets from Artefa got shut down because people go street racing afterwards you know they'll be burnt out so they're vandalizing public property and all that stuff um so that's why that did would be put to a halt um, but I'm, I'm t- Artefa was like a legendary car meet here in Toronto. And um, 
any car guy, you talk, you talk about Artefa, they know exactly what we're talking about. It was oh, insane. Interesting. So, interesting. So it sucked I you think, in from there. Those, those, yeah, events. that definitely amplified my, my, uh, my reason to want to go racing. And also from that, you know, you saw, so you meet a lot of people that like, okay, here, take a car for a spin around the block. Right. And I'm talking like, I don't have a license back then. Right. So then I'm, I'm getting this thrill. And, um, also my one friend who was showing me how to drive a manual in the civic, I was like, wow. Like, he had like a, a tuned Civic, so it wasn't just like a regular one. I was just like, wow, I want to be able to drive this car to full potential. And then it was still a bit of a dream because, you know, you look into the budget, you just realize like, okay, well, even if I have a good paying salary when I'm older, there's no way I'm going to be able to afford this, you know I mean? Like, it's crazy. So that's when I realized, okay, well, if I really want to take this seriously, I'd, even if I have, a, a, you know, a good uh, job with a good salary, there's not enough time to pay, to generate the income to pay for it. So that's why I have to choose entrepreneurship life because yes, it's big risk, it's a lot of risk, but then it's a lot of reward too, right? So then basically um, once I saved up for the racing, racing school, and I was actually in, it was my first time in a race car. Like well, it was a formula car too. I had no idea what I was doing. And um, luckily I kept the car on track, you know, and I did everything correct and got my license. And um, that's when I realized, okay, no, I'm taking this hundred percent seriously now. I believe you ran into somebody who's called Patrick Whitmer, and I hope yeah. I'm, I'm I hope I'm pronouncing his name right. And he's the head of Kunick Autosport. Is that correct? Yes, that's uh, right. Yeah. And, and so one of the things, and I, I want to touch on this in, in a few things that I've I've heard Patrick say, you know, or read that he said, um, is he mentioned how you have tremendous talent, like an, a boundless talent uh, in this sport. But he said that in this sport, you need more than talent. You need money. 100%. Tell the audience and tell us about what that means. Like, what, is, what does that actually mean? Before, before going to that, I want you guys to understand who Patrick Whitmer is. Patrick mm-hmm. Whitmer is the father of Kuno Whitmer, Carl Whitmer, Nick Whitmer, and Kurt Whitmer. All these four brothers are like legendary Canadian drivers. So Kuno Whitmer is a professional. Pat, I mean, Kurt's a professional. Nick's a professional. And Carl's going to become professional too. And these guys have boundless talent as well. But I believe the reason I got good is because, I mean, whenever they're talking, I'm just shutting up and listening. And I'm trying to absorb everything, right? I even write it down sometimes to remember because they throw a lot of information at once, right? And which I love, by the way, because that's the only way I can learn, right? And um, I, I would definitely, uh, you know, give credit where it's due. And I think a lot of my talent also is skill that, was um you know taught by uh these these brothers too so yeah um and patrick's their father so patrick knows how to um develop a professional race car driver so that's why i'm definitely honored to be under his wing and um but again just like you said that can only take you so far right what's stopping you is the budget and what we mean by that is because racing is a very expensive sport right um a lot of race teams have anyone who's racing right now like in an amateur race team like who has a race team like patrick they're not doing it for money they're just doing it for the love of the sport mm-hmm. because if they were doing it for money they're not making enough to like just live well off anymore right, right? It, 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 it's basically get by money so that's why anyone who has a race team in like the amateur level is just doing it for the pure passion and love for the sport and um you know that's something i'm very grateful for because it wasn't people like this i would never have this opportunity to be in racing professional racing is a bit like tennis where um, a lot of the big money is held for the top tier athletes. 
And um, what I mean by that is tennis, for example, you, you only start making good money if you're one of the top tier athletes. The, you know, everyone below that is just finding their way to get up. Racing is kind of the same thing, but in racing, you have to pay to race because you have to pay for the race entry fees, you know, pay for the race team, race car rental insurance, all that stuff. And, you know, the, the faster series you want to compete in, the more expensive it gets exponentially. And um, I'm talking about like, if you're paying the hundreds of thousands, that's cheap for racing. Huh. Wow, that's that's really really, and 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 that's that's kind of the closest um, analogy is is um, a sport like tennis, where you've got to you know it's a solo sport, um, but you've got to invest a ton into it. Yeah. What's your journey been like? You know, you've obviously learned a lot from as you, as you said the the Whitmer brothers, all four of them, and and then being uh, you know in the orbit of of Patrick how how important has that been in terms of your development as a racer and then your understanding of what it takes both financially so uh, the money and of course the the talent and the and the, the the racing itself how important has that been well basically I owe everything I've done so far to them and because it's the most important thing ever um now they've shown me that I can I can race I know how to learn I learn how to adapt to a car and I can race but mm-hmm. now I need to figure out how to generate the income to raise. Is that, is that what you're talking about when you say entrepreneurship? Is that where that's coming from? Exactly. Right. So, mm-hmm. and racing, just like any sport, by the way, it, 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 if you want to get good, it's practice, right? You know, just like Kobe's talking about, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're um, training three hours a day and one guy's training one hour a day, you're three times uh, ahead of that person. Problem is if I want to train three hours a day, that's going to cost me at least $10,000 a day. So that's, that's about getting access to the track. That's about all of those things, right? Power, you know, fees and insurance. So, um, I mean, don't get, I'd love to be at the track three hours a day, every day, but it's just not feasibly possible. Right. And mm-hmm. on top of that, you, you need a team to come out with you. Right. And, um, it, it, that's why it's expensive. So it's not expensive because they're trying to make it expensive. It's just, that's the cost of the sport. And, um, the reason I have to choose entrepreneurship life is because first of all, now I need to figure out how can I generate the, the, the funds to go racing. And also what the women's taught me is that um, you need to learn how to um, attract sponsors, right? And sponsors, you have to provide them value. And you can, I don't want to just provide like the, the, the status quo it, with um, getting sponsors and racing is I'll put your sticker on my car. I'll be your, um, yeah. I'll, I'll be your, like your host or whatever, but there's not much value in that especially if you're a race car driver that no one's looking at. So what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to first put eyes on me, create the value I can provide. Also build up connections. So maybe I know a sponsor who needs this. I know a company that has this. I connect them two together. A deal gets done. You know, and then they benefit a lot, giving them a reason to sponsor me. Right. So um, what I'm learning right now and going through is how to provide the utmost value for a company. Every company is different, right? Because everyone has their own wants and needs. So what you have to figure out is what are these companies' wants and needs? How can I give value to them? And then if I figure out a strategy there, then that's a potential sponsor I want to go pitch to. For sure. For sure. Right. When, you, when you started to get in and deeper and deeper into the, into the racing game, if you will, 
when you learned about this other side of it, and this is this is really kind of, uh, I think this is a general question about sports, right? Because everybody's yeah. everybody sees the end, right? Everybody sees that last shot that's taken by Kobe or LeBron or, um, you know, you know all all of the Luka Doncic and all those guys who are who are just excelling in the sport. Um, yeah. But nobody sees the practice, as you said. Nobody sees behind the scenes when you're, you know, you're waking up at X amount of like hours, and you know, you're trying to reserve time on the track and all that. And and in this case, when you're trying to build that sponsorship, like network, if you will, when you started to peel back the onions of this and understand, whoa, this is what's involved in being a pro in this sport. How did how did you take that? How did you react to that? Uh, well, it was, it was just, it was like, it is what it is. You know, if I want to continue, this is what it takes. I didn't, I didn't feel any, um, you know, bad feelings towards it at all. More like, okay, this is, this is the cost of business. Let's do business. So it's just the nature of the sport. Now, keep in mind when you get to a big level where you have the budget for marketing companies to have to sponsors for you, you know, then, then that's also a big weight off your shoulders too. But till you're at that uh, stage, you have to go get it yourself that's a great insight into all of the hard work that you're doing Toka and it's paying off and hopefully continues to pay off and we'll, we'll definitely support you and this community will as well. Um, what I, I want to know as well, like, so aside from the financials, you're obviously, you're a person of color. How has that informed your experience in this sport? It's um, it's been okay. I get nothing negative to be honest. There are some times where you just, you know, you feel like eyes are on you because you're that person, but but nothing, nothing like hateful, nothing like, um, like no bad vibes from it. It's just more like, you know, people are curious, right? We're human beings. We're just curious, you know, what's this guy doing on the track? And um, it's like, if you go up north driving, you stop by a little, uh, a little uh, country town you, to get a coffee, you know, like, okay, who's this guy? You know, like, <laughs> right, um, right. Like that. But it's nothing bad. Like everyone's very nice. They're very friendly, especially my racing series. You know, everyone there is very friendly. We all get along. And, um, yeah, I'm talking like SBC specifically, so it hasn't been anything negative. I'm definitely like 100% comfortable right now, and um, especially with all their support, even like my other race car drivers, like my competitors support me too, you know what I mean? It's, it's a big family environment over there, which I generally love, and uh, it's the best place for me to develop my grassroots racing and develop the skill needed to progress. That's that's really great to hear that you haven't necessarily, aside from the the novelty of hey hey there's a black guy on the course, um, yeah. experienced any negativity, and we shall you know knock wood that that continues. But what we what we can't ignore, right, or or what can't be ignored is the fact that you now represent a, a rather small sub community within the racing world, which is racers of color. How important is representation in a sport such as? Uh, such, such as racing how how important do you do you think it is for you and then maybe for those who are coming after you well my goal is like to make it look like it's a thing nothing to even concern about right i'm trying to make it look like this is just normal mm -hmm. why should it be why should it be something different why should it be something that people need to talk about at the end of the day whoever you are you know even for females for example sometimes you know these people who see females on the track look at them differently at the end of the day it, it shouldn't matter we have a helmet on we're in the car I don't care if you're a female person, black, blue, white, yellow, it doesn't matter. I'm just, I just want to make sure you're behind me and I'm in front of you. Of course, you know, people shouldn't feel that they can't participate in the sport because of who they are. And that's definitely incorrect. I'm talking about even people with no legs, you mm. know, unfortunately, who, who have lost their legs in incidents are still embracing the sport. 
right? There, there's there's technology to um, able to be, which, which enables them to race. So what's stopping you? You know, there's no reason why you should feel that way. And on top of that, maybe you're in an environment like not as lucky as me, where they're everyone's very supportive. Maybe you're in an environment where there is negative feelings towards who you are. Then that's even more of a reason to continue. You know what I mean? That's even more of a reason to stay on track and show them, hey, look, I can do anything you can do, and if not better. Mm-hmm. And then, mm-hmm. but of course, you know, main goal: stay respectful. You know, always be, make sure that because at that point you are representing a community, especially when everyone has negative feelings towards you. You are representing a large community, so that's when you always have to stay respectful. You know, stay relentless as well, and just push through it. It's it's quite a mature perspective to take on such an important topic about representation, and I'll, I love the fact that you 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 spoke about women and people who are disabled uh, disabled as well, because that is really where we want to go is we don't want this isn't just a black story it's a story for you know for everybody and we want to make sure all marginalized communities get a chance uh to move away from the margins you spoke about you you want to make the car reach its full potential is that something that's common in the racing world for those of people who are not into racing uh as much as you are is that what is that what drivers that's what the mentality they have is to say we want to allow this car to reach its full potential. Well, well in the professional level, um, they're already at that level. They're already at that, at that position where the, the car, they're now limited by the car. Mm. You know, they're, they're so good that the car is actually holding them back. So that's why, they're all, that's why we have a racing engineer in the professional level where you let them know, okay, this is what's happened to the car. Or oh, the car is doing this. I can't do this, you know, or wherever the case is. So they're at the level, like professional race car drivers, they're at the level where the car is now holding them back because, you know, they know how to push the car to its full potential. They know how to push the tires, everything to its full potential versus I'm still at the level where I'm trying, I'm trying to get there. You know, I'm trying to be able to do that. And mm-hmm. to do that, it's not just about being a good driver. It's also about understanding the car. So you know what's wrong with the car. So you can communicate with your racing engineer to let them know what's wrong with the car because the racing engineer is not behind the car. You are the racing engineer can only, you know, um, amend the car based on your feedback. So if you don't give them good feedback, then they won't be able to do anything with the car. So there's a huge amount of communication that's going on all the time. Yes, yeah, especially the professional level. Right now, I'm still learning how to feel the car. So then, you know, I'm, I'm learning. I talk to my guys about that. Mm-hmm. But at the professional level, like it's a huge team evolved around it, right? So like if you look at Formula One, for example, how many people do you see is on the the pit in the pit team versus how many drivers there are? You know, two drivers versus like 50 guys helping those drivers. Right. There's a lot of different elements when it comes to racing. There's obviously you and the dynamics with the car, right? Um, there's the time because you've got this race against the clock. And then you have other racers that are in and around your ecosystem. So can you tell me about how, how difficult it is to navigate all three, maybe four layers there, because it's, you know, it's one thing to race, a, a, you know, around the track on your, on your own, but then now you've got to account for other people. So how, how has that journey of learning been for you? Yeah, for sure. I mean, racing is all about strategy. And on top of that, it's all about being calm, you know, and um, being patient. And I know this might sound weird because you think of a race car driver, you start to think of like fast and furious, like, ah, and all that. Yeah. But it's the exact opposite racing. It's more, you need to be, first of all, calm. Because when you're calm, that's when you can think clearly. 
you also need to be patient because you don't want to make risky moves. You want to be patient when the right move, when the right opportunity arrives. That's when you take it. And you also want to be you also want to be very strategic because you need to plan on what you're doing. You need to think a few corners ahead. You can't think right now, right? Your body should react to right now, but your mind should be a few corners ahead. And um, you also have to be relentless because you're you're not doing one lap as hard as you can. You're doing several laps, so. You, you can't just you can't just give up at the fourth lap and start you know cruising around after you have to be relentless go after it for every lap and um also you, you have to be very disciplined too because the sport requires a lot of a lot of you know adversity um and just i'm talking about outside the seat so you have to be disciplined and uh, you have to be able to be pushed through that adversity to make sure that you know you can go racing what do you love most about racing coca it's a great question. I guess what I love most about racing is it just it's more of like the the euphoric feeling I get behind the wheel. And like when you're when your body starts just reacting more than your mind is thinking and you're doing everything correct, it's a bit like it's very blissful and like it's just euphoric, you know what I mean? So yeah. uh I guess when I guess that's when people call it like I'm in the zone, right? Um Maybe that's what, like, you know, some drug addicts feel. So that's why I feel <laughs> yeah. like maybe I'm addicted to that feeling. Yeah. <laughs> that's your drug, man. That's your drug. Yeah. That's great. Um, I, I got a, I got a silly question for you. When, when you're, when you're just going to even the track or you're going to friends, uh, you know, friends event or or whatnot, do you feel the compulsion to to grab the wheel, or or can you can can you sit in the passenger seat? when when you're driving around it's just in the regular oh, if, if i'm with my friends i better not be behind the wheel that's for sure okay um, okay <laughs> no yeah I, I, it's very different though like i don't i don't um i don't feel the need when i'm driving on the road because you know the first thing that comes to mind is that i'm not the only person out here there's right. definitely other people and you know i'm i'm very against you know street racing just because you might be a good driver who you know that's good good for you but the average day people don't know how to react to your driving mm -hmm. so maybe you're a good driver you're swerving through traffic whatever but then that, that person you just swerve through doesn't know how to react they crash to this car they roll off you know whatever so that's why i'm you know i, I understand you know racing is very expensive but like street racing especially where it's traffic you know i don't condone that at all and that's why whenever i'm behind the the wheel i try to set an example to my friends you know if toka murphy the race car driver is not acting a fool behind the track Maybe I shouldn't either. You know what I mean? So yeah, that's great. I'm I'm really happy to hear that. Um, and and again, it speaks to your maturity that you 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 went from a silly question and you you answered it in such a profound way. So I love that, Toka. <laughs> I love that. Are there any other instances in your life that give you this calm or that force you into the zone? Actually, yeah. Especially when you're negotiating upon a deal, a lot of people they get hyped up. You know what I mean? They feel like they, they, you know, their, their heart starts being faster when they're negotiating with the deal and maybe, you know, they start yelling at each other afterwards. But when you're negotiating through a deal, you, you ne always need to, you know, cut through the emotions and focus on the logic. And um, it's not as a euphoric feeling, but it's, it's, it's the same satisfaction you get when you negotiate through, a, you know, especially a huge deal. And, um, you know, you, you still got what you want at the end of the day. And what I mean by winning a deal, it's not like, you know, the, the person again, you know, you're trying to get a deal with, they lose, they still win, but you, you know, you just got what you wanted. They got what they wanted. And that's what a good deal is. Right. 
I, I love the way you put that. And there's a couple of um, some great mentors of mine in, in the business world had said, you know, like a, a, a great deal is one where it's win, 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 right? So it's win for you, right. win for the person across the quote unquote, the table negotiating table. And it's a win in this context for customers. So I love the way that you are approaching it, that those negotiation moments are not one where you beat him or her across the table, but it's a matter of like, let's both find a way to, to win and let's get there in a calm and cool way that brings you close to the track, but maybe not quite on it. Is there, uh, again, uh, I, I'm playing all these, these uh, relative stereotypes in that, you know, somebody who is, is as in the world that you're in, everything is, is moving fast. Everything is moving fast. Is there something that Toka does that is in super slow motion? My life is pretty boring, to be honest with you. All I do is work and race. <laughs> so, that's all I really focus on. Oh, that's amazing. That's amazing, Toka. You know, I, I got one more question for you. And it, it, it is, uh, again, a sort of like a serious one in the sense of, um, you know, a lot of, a, a lot of stories have hit the news lately because of Naomi Osaka, who stepped yeah. away from the French Open just from a mental health perspective and, and sort of, you know, how, how she felt about being asked to, to attend all these press conferences and so on and so forth. I, I don't want to ask you necessarily about Naomi, although if you're free to, to comment on her. What I wanted to ask you about is how are you mentally preparing for the rigors of this sport? Uh, to be honest, I haven't, I haven't even paid that any mind. It's just more the sense of um, I just react in the moment, right? So um, whatever happens, and if it does happen, I'll just make sure that all my responses, all my actions are something that if I look back on, I'll feel proud of. If I, or let's say I, have a, like I had a son who watched me, you know, my, I'll be proud that the way I'm acting, my son is seeing it correctly. So there you have it. The race continues. If you're an avid listener, you'll notice that we've taken a detour. As stated off the top, we took a turn from our scheduled programming in honor of the Grand Prix, which was supposed to take place on the day that this episode made its debut. Up next, a return to our scheduled focus on food. Get your ears perked and your forks out. If this is your first foray into our light show, please subscribe, rate, and enjoy all of our episodes, be they past, present, or those yet to come. You can find us wherever you do your listening, from iTunes to Spotify to Google Podcasts and many, many more. A very special thanks to Toka Murphy for being such a great interview. Man, I'm pulling for you. You've got a great team around you, from the brothers to Patrick Whitmer, and I'm sure your next step is the podium and beyond it. Keep going and keep growing, my friend. Part of our show was recorded and produced at Culturelight Studios, the soundstage and auditory office of 54 Lights. Music for this episode was played, composed, and enjoyed with permission by my friend Roland Best at E-Roll Beats. Oh yes, and before I forget, if you enjoy some social sprinkled in with your experience, please follow us on Instagram or Twitter under our handle, Crowd54. 
listen, like, share. This is your honored host, Kandwani Mwasi. Until we meet again. Thanks for listening.